Greetings in Jesus' name. We sang about the blood this morning. We talked about perfect hearts. We talked about wisdom. Many, many things. But it's, we're here because of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank Eldon for being quick on the spot, and thank you, and I want to thank you, Sean, for leading us out in a in how to guide the home when your home is just a month old. So it's a very interesting morning. We uh, we talked about maybe last Sunday that we're not professional ball players, we're not professionals, but we are a team, and that's a blessing, and we. Uh, each can extend our gifts that the Lord has gifted us with, and we can, of course, improve on our gifts by God's grace. But uh, we come here and we offer our gifts to the Lord and to each other. So this morning I will take a emerge away from first Corinthians, second Corinthians rather, to a message by request. And I don't know who requested it, but I got a note that asked me whether I would have a message on Abigail. So um, I don't know if I was supposed to know who the, the note came from or not, but there was no name on it, so I don't know who gave it. But I uh, definitely looked at that and thought it's very, very good message. Very good uh, thoughts for us. So we will look at Abigail the Carmelitis. So why don't we just pause for a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful to you. Thank you for your word, which is so rich. Thank you for your spirit, which is here, Lord, with intent, Lord, to bless us. And so, Lord, we come to you and we pray, Lord, that our hearts, each one of our hearts may be open, open to receive wisdom, wisdom from above, truth, Lord, eternal truth, truth, Lord, which will last beyond our lives, last beyond this nation, last beyond, Lord, even this whole earth. Lord, teach us thy truth this morning, we pray, that we may apply it to our lives and for the purpose, Lord, of bringing glory back to you and of running our race, even as Paul did at the end of his life. He could say, I have fought a good fight. Lord, I pray you would teach us this morning and inspire our hearts to follow you closely. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Abigail, a woman of tact and wisdom. And we can see, we will see her as a woman of wisdom and of tact and of action. We also see she as a woman of humility and service. And we can see that she was actually, you can see a tinge of a prophetess in her. And she was definitely a woman of faith. In fact, she is one of the Bible characters that the Bible is silent about any of her faults. We have many, many Bible characters, and they're presented to us, but she has 
No faults revealed, at least not that I know of. Just a little bit like Daniel. Daniel has not a single fault recorded in the scripture. So is Abigail. Yet, she did some controversial things. She did some major things behind her husband's back. And she spoke publicly to others about her husband's faults. So can we still say nothing negative recorded about her in Scripture? The question that came to me in a request to speak about Abigail included those questions. Was it okay for her to speak so dishonorably about her husband in public? Should modern wives ever admit publicly that their husbands have faults? What do you think, husbands? <laughs> yes, okay. Well, we'll talk about that. And I could add, was it okay for her to act behind her husband's back without his permission and without his knowledge? And these are some of the practical questions that we will address at the end of the message that we'll go through. So we have the setting first. We're at the setting. Uh, well, we'll look at some other scriptures first. I was trying to figure out how long of an introduction we should have. But these are God's chosen people. You remember God chose Abram. He chose Abram. He separated him from the other peoples of the world, and he got this one man, and he developed a nation out of this one man, and he said, these are my people. And he developed them in Egypt. I mean, they grew into a nation in Egypt. Then he took them out, and he took them to Mount Sinai, and he entered into covenant with them. And we could read the scriptures. Um, maybe I'll read a few verses here in Exodus 19, talking about these being God's people. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And then Moses came to the children of Israel, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So we see the very concept, these are God's chosen people. And... And then, when it was repeated 40 years later, Deuteronomy, Moses, well, 38 years, 40 years later, Moses repeated the covenant, and, and he, he, he reminds them of their special place that they have as God's people. And I'm going to read a few verses in Deuteronomy 4. And this is God's well, Moses speaking to you. I said, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. 
Okay, keep the law. Do what I told you. And he said, for this is your wisdom and your understanding. Maybe we should have brought that in this morning. Well, that was brought in some. The word of God. For this is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear of all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God in all things that we call unto him for? And what nation is there that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? So those are God's people. And so now that's the setting. Now we're 450 years later. They are still God's people. They're God's chosen people. God is among them. How are they doing? And how are the nations around them viewing them by now? Well, we have at this time, we have Saul, the present king. He is a jealous king. He feels threatened. And he's exerting all his governmental powers to try to eliminate, eliminate the next presumptive king. So these are God's people, okay? How's it going? And David... He's the next king, and he's living in the hills, hiding for his life. And the nation has many enemies who are not in awe of the wisdom of this nation at this point. And you think of the Philistines, and you think of Gath, you know, uh, Gath, Goliath. How Goliath came up against the nation, and he just mocked them. They were not in awe. So... With all their imperfections, they are still God's people, just like we are today. <laughs> okay, so it was during this period. Okay, I'm sorry, no. So they are God's people. That's the setting. That so uh, in the middle of that, uh, if you go to you go, to, I want you to turn to Samuel, First Samuel, chapter twenty-five. And we're going to be reading the entire chapter in pieces. If we go back in verse in chapter 24, we see that David had recently spared Saul's life when he could have killed him. And Saul then acknowledged that David would be the next king. And he asked David, when you become the next king, please spare my descendant. Don't kill my descendants when you become king. And David promises, I will not. I will not destroy your descendants. So after that meeting, Saul returns to Gibeah, but David stays there in Angedi. And perhaps, we don't know, but maybe for a period of several months, there was peace between those two men. It was during this time that Samuel, the prophet, died. And we're going to read here in starting at verse 1 of chapter 25. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in the house in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Moan whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great, and he had 3,000 sheep, and a thousand goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. 
Now the name of the, name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. I found a commentary by Keith Simmons that gives some perspectives. The whole nation had gathered together for Samuel's funeral. After the funeral, David and his men did not return to En Gedi where they had been, but they went to Moan, Moan, whatever you pronounce the name. And this is what the commentary says, and I want to read it because it gives perspectives. Uh, someone who has studied the, the history, they knew, David's men, knew that during this period of the year, they could find work there as guards. Nabal was one of the richest men in that region, and his wealth depended upon the skill of the men whom he employed to look after his animals. They had to leap, lead his sheep and goats through a dry region to find food and water for them. And remember, his flocks were in Carmel, but he lived in Moan. And that was probably at least several miles apart. So the, the flocks were away from his home. Now Nabal was doing this in one of the most dangerous regions in ancient Israel. On the south side of Judah, there lived many groups of thieves and robbers. These men lived wholly or partly on what they could steal from Israel's people. And just to get you an idea, remember Job, how uh, Job's servants were out and the Sabaeans came and just took everything and killed everybody. That's the, that's the context here. So they would gather in large group and they attacked suddenly and they would take all the animals and they would kill the men who looked after those animals. Israel's army was not active in the south of Judah because Saul's men were fighting wars elsewhere. So Nabal's servants depended very much on whatsoever guards they could obtain. It was hard to find guards whom they could trust Many men who offered themselves to be guards were in fact thieves. Isn't that true? We find that to be true, don't we? So when David brought his men into the region, Nabal's servants were very grateful for their help. David's men did not receive their full wage immediately. It was the custom that at the proper time, David would arrange that with Nabal. So that helps us understand the dynamics of what's going on here. And also we've been introduced to the two main characters, Nabal and Abigail. Abigail, the name means father of joy, or you really look at it, it means source of joy, father being source. Basically, Abigail was a joy to be around. I don't know if Matt, Matt Brenneman is here or not. Uh, no, no. Yeah, Matt, he's not here. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure he would agree with me, right? <laughs> oh, he is there. Okay. <laughs> but that's what the name means. Abigail's a joy to be around. Nabal, on the other hand, and this is right out of Strong's, means stupid or wicked, especially impious. Now, Nabal is used as a, as a, a non-proper name. Nabal being a proper name, it's also used as a 
common name. And I found a few places where, I mean, I'm going to read a few places where the word Nabal is used not as a name but as a description. Psalms 14.1, the fool means Nabal has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So the fool, Nabal is a fool. And also an interesting one. Uh, men, be very careful how you do this. But this is Job. And he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Talking to his wife. He called her Nabal. <laughs> because he said, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Okay, so you can call your wife Nabal and not sin with your lips. For you did not sin against God, right? Yet, and we also found out that Nabal was of the house, he was of the lineage of Caleb. Caleb was one of those two godly spies. He was the, one of the two men that survived those 40 years in the wilderness. And he was a man of faith. It was, it was Caleb that had stilled the people before Moses and said, no, we, we can go in. We can conquer the land. The Lord is with us. We can do it. And he was the one that they were threatening to stone. So he was a man of faith, Caleb. And then 40 years later, he was the one who said to Moses, give me this mountain. It was the mountain. It was the area where Caleb was living in, that, the, the, that area. So uh, Caleb was of the lineage, and Nabal was of the lineage of Caleb, and he lived in that area. But being a descendant of a godly man is no guarantee for anybody, anyone. And this, this man was about as bad as to get. How did Abigail get married to such a man? Anybody have any ideas? <laughs> maybe, maybe she had no choice in the matter. It's very possible. Maybe it was an arranged marriage. We don't know. What kind of marriage or home life do you think Abigail and Nabal might have had based on what is mentioned about them so far? Abigail lived probably in a lot of tension and maybe even threats of violence. Unresolved conflict. But she is evidence that it is possible to be sweet and wise and godly even among horrible family members. In fact, the marriage to this man may be, may be what drove her, the very vehicle that drove this woman to become such a character as she was. Such a character of wisdom and grace. Difficult situations, and I mean really difficult situations, and I believe this was, will either make us what? Better or bitter. It has that effect. Really difficult situations will do that. It, in this case, seemed to have made her better. 
She didn't get snowed under. She did not take the position of a victim. Poor me. I just can't be what I ought to be because of my husband, because of him. My life is so miserable. My life is ruined. All my dreams are dashed. Now, I am sure she shed many a tear. I do not doubt that, that it was very difficult for her. But it's a word for all of us. Because of the governor, because of my boss, because of my church, because of my family, because of my spouse, I can't be godly. I can't serve God because of them. I can't have the freedom to do what to be what I ought to be because I'm around people. Like the saying says, how can you soar with eagles when you work with turkeys? You know, but the fact is you can. You can. It must have been hard to be married to a man like him. Evil, churlish, unreasonable, drunk. But here she is, shining. Do you think she had a connection with God? Okay, going on here, verse 4. And David heard in the wilderness, as they were protecting, that Nabal did shear his sheep. Okay, payday had come. Payday had come for the work, the service they had offered. And David didn't seem to expect any problem here. I don't know if he knew Nabal or not. But he knew, David didn't know this. He knew that they had done a good job. His men had protected Nabal's animals well. So he sent him a friendly greeting with a polite request for the usual payment. Payment. David called it a gift, but it was basically, it was a payment was expected. It was, I would almost call it like an informal arrangement. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a boy, we had an auction a few miles from our house. Every week, it was like a, an auction that was frequented mostly by farmers or construction workers and that kind of thing. A lot of farmers. At a hay auction there too, but it was a general merchandise auction. And every Wednesday, my dad went frequently during certain times, and I went there, and a lot of other boys my age went there. We were talking about, uh, I don't know, 10, 12, 14, some of that age we were there. And there was lots of things, I mean, uh, lots, not lots. There were certain lots. I mean, you, you bought a lot. And then you bought this, and then you bought that. The auctioneer went down the row and sold lots of things. And some of those things were lumber. Some of those things were general merchandise. And us boys, we would go there after the sale was over, and we would watch. And when someone came, the buyer came to load his stuff up, we would come and help him load. And after we were done, we would expect tip. It was uh, one of the unique uh, entrepreneurial ways that we boys earn some money. And it was interesting. Some would give tip. Some would say a nice thank you and go on their way. And it was interesting because sometimes, uh, uh, I don't know if I, if I was off, if I was alone or we had a few groups. I don't remember how we did it. But 
we had this pile of lumber and a few helped him. And then someone, other boys saying they can help. By the time we were done, we had a dozen people. And some of them were only there for about a minute. And the rest of us had borne the heat of the day. And we all get the same amount. So it was, it was a good lesson for us in many ways. But this was sort of an informal arrangement. And yet there was an expectation. That, that's what I, I see here. And David sent out, verse 5, his ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee and peace be thee, peace be to thy house and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them. All the while they were in Carmel. Ask the young men, and they will show thee. In other words, he's saying, we did our job well. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. A good day means this was, this was their normal feasting day. This was the shearing. This was when they did their rewards of their hard labor beforehand it was their their celebration let's say it that way so give i pray thee whatsoever cometh to thy hand unto thy servants and to thy son david and when david's young men came they spake to nabal according to all those words in the name of david and seized that they waited for an answer and nabal answered david's servants and said who is david and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him, David, all these sayings. Now, what would you do if you would do a several months project, whatever work you do, or just imagine some work that you do, and then upon completion, you come for payment, and your customer would say to you, who are you? (laughs) Are you some vagabond? Go take a hike. Get off of my property. Uh, some of the other, some of the other translations say it. This is paraphrased that Nabal screamed at them, or he tore into them with insults. What would you do if you would do some work for somebody, and it would be a pretty substantial amount, and then you get this kind of response? That's what David got. So how would you respond? Not only did Nabal refuse to give due payment, he was just simply rude and he was nasty. He insulted, he snubbed him, implied that he was just, David was just a rebel. And so, well, I don't know how you would respond, but I know how David responded. We are told how he responded. Well, in verse 13, and David said to his men, 
You know, if you say it in modern days, get your guns. That's what they say in Texas, right? Gird on your swords. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded his sword. And they went up, they went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode with the stuff. So what we have here is an angry man with an army with him. And you can smell trouble coming. Well, so did someone else. Nabal's servants, they smelled trouble. They, they, they observed what had happened. And maybe they were interacting with David's men. Maybe they knew more. That, I don't know. But they knew trouble was coming. So, we'll go read on here in verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us both by night and day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. So one of Naples' servants came to Abigail and warned her. Why didn't he go to Nabal? Well, maybe they did. Uh, But... Maybe they just also just knew him. They knew him. Maybe appeals have been made, but the conclusion is, and this is said here, he is so ill. He is so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. But it seemed that this alarmed servant knew that Abigail would listen. So he came and he explained the situation to her. And so Abigail, he said, you need to know this and you need to figure out what to do for evil is determined against our master and against all of us. So Nabal was cruel and greedy, but Abigail was sensible and intelligent. And unlike her husband, she did smell. She did smell trouble. Now, she didn't panic. That's why she's a woman of wisdom and tact. She didn't panic like maybe I would have. She knew, she saw that she must respond quickly. And she decides that the way to respond is to immediately prepare some a generous gift for David and his men. And so as she is preparing those gifts, what else What for other preparations are being made? As she's preparing these gifts, David is preparing his army. That's what's happening right at this time. So let's read here at 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs. And laid them on asses. Someone said I read it. Someone said that I read here is that only a woman could carry that off. <laughs> and she said unto her servants, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. 
And it was so, as she rode on the ass, that as that she came down by the covert, down the ravine of a hill, and behold, David and his men came down against her, and she met them. Now David had said, after the young men had come back with the report about Nabal, Surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, so that nothing was missing of all that pertaineth unto him, and he hath requited me evil for good. So, and more also, do God unto the enemies of David, if I leave all that he that pertaineth unto him by morning light, any that pisses against the wall. Now, how would you feel, as an Abigail, to make an appeal to an army who was led by an angry man with blood in his eyes? David was angry. He felt insulted. He was insulted. He was after revenge. And now we want to ask a question. Why is that a problem? Why was that a problem for David? Well, let's think a little bit. What, how did David act when Saul came after him? Saul, David rather, he behaved himself wisely. He knew he was anointed king, and he was trusting God to take care of him. Now, that doesn't mean he just sat where he did. It doesn't mean he didn't do anything. But it means he was allowing God to deal. He was trusting God to deal with Saul. He was not going to take things into his own hands. He was not going to do it himself. But now... Let's say he needed to trust God to take care of all his enemies, including Nabal. Here's a problem, and I'm going to use it with, with an example here in my own personal life. Early on in my Christian life, I told a joke to my co-worker. It wasn't a dirty joke, but it probably wasn't one of good taste, and I had no idea what it was. But it wasn't one of good taste. He reminded me of Ecclesiastes 10.1. Anybody know what Ecclesiastes 10.1 is? Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly in him that is of a, in reputation for wisdom and honor. So you have a something that smells real sweet, perfume, and you get something in there that defiles it and stinks the whole thing up. That's what I was challenged with back then. And I still need that challenge today. Because as Christians, we are representatives of Christ on the earth. We may do well 95% of the time. But when we are inconsistent, we may splurge a little bit here or we may let down our guard a little bit here. And it can cause our entire character to stink to an observer, especially an antagonistic observer. Our testimony is ruined by one inconsistency and you know how it is you can 
You can spend a lifetime building a reputation, but it only takes a swipe to take it down. And it takes a long time to build it up again. Well, that's what David faced here. That's exactly what was going on here. But David was completely unaware of it. Like, was I unaware of it when I said that joke? Probably, or I don't know. But David is completely unaware what he's about to do and how it would affect him. But it's interesting that the cooler head of Abigail saw it clearly. She saw it when he didn't. So, instead of the classic story of a man rescuing a damsel in distress, it's the other way around. (laughs) It's a damsel rescuing the prince, the coming king in distress. So, we have Abigail's appeal. In verse starting at verse 23 here. And when Abigail saw David and met him, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. And this is her appeal and fell at his feet and said unto me, my Lord, unto me, let this iniquity be and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear, listen. To the words of thine handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord whom thou didst send. Here is where she publicly speaks to David of her husband in a negative way. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil of my Lord be as Nabal. We'll break in here. If the Lord hath done what? She said, the Lord hath withholden thee from bloodshed. See, this is a woman of faith. She saw the hand of God at work in the middle of this crisis. And she had confidence that David, this man of God, this man of principle that she had heard about so much, would respond to the Lord through her. She knew, she she understood that she was being used of God for David. She understood that. She was a woman of faith. She had insight. She said, the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood. So we see clearly Abigail was a long-time godly woman of faith. It seemed that she lived up to date with God. She didn't have a list of issues, undealt with issues, unresolved issues between her and her God. So she lived that way, and when this crisis comes, all of a sudden, I mean, this servant comes to up, she got a, there is no time to waste. She is, she is in tune with God, she can go. There's no time for preparation, no time to get things right. She doesn't have time to brush up her theology or her relationship with God. It is time to move. 
And in this, she's an example for us as well. Keeping our relationship with God clear that we are, whatever comes our way, we are ready to meet it. And now, reading on here, and now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord, I pray thee. Forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord, David, fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Now, I called her a prophetess. Um, maybe she is a prophetess here that she talked about his sure house. Is she talking the whole way to Christ? Or is she just talking that he's definitely going to become king? If she was just going that far, then she was just simply having confidence of faith in the Lord that the Lord will bring him to the kingship. But if not, if it goes further than that, she was actually a prophet about the sure house that, that the Lord promised to David. He's going to always have someone on the throne. But it was well known in Israel that David was poised to be the next king of the nation. Now Nabal most surely would have known that as well. But Abigail, she had that insight either as a woman of faith as, or as a prophet. And she said, the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Why? Because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. And evil has not been found in thee all thy days. And she goes on, yet a man, she's, she's, she's continuing on talking to David, a man, that Saul, a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord, which is David, shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, they shall, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel. That this, now she's talking about this outburst of anger and revenge that David is in right now, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord. Offensive heart means he will regret it. Either that thou hast shed blood causelessly, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. I mean, we could have a number of messages out of this. There is just so much in here. Her insight. She saw that David was protected by the Lord. No one was going to come and kill David because his life was bound up. His bundle of life is bound up with the Lord God. And and she knew that David, since he fought the Lord's enemies, that the Lord is going to take care of those enemies. And then she challenges him that this one event, see, one of the most important things Abigail did here was remind David about the Lord. See, it was David's common habit before he took a major excursion that he would inquire of the Lord. I, I, I typed it, inquire of the Lord, and it's about eight or ten times in the scripture where David inquired of the Lord. 
it was a common practice that David would inquire of the Lord before he did something. Later, when Ziglag was sacked, and all their wives and all their children were carried off captive, before they pursued them, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, Go, and you will rescue it. But this time, he didn't. In this wrong, in this slap of the face, in this sudden, unexpected insult, David's passions rose. Right now, David was responding like any man of the world. Temporarily, David had ceased to be a man of God. And he was about to make a tragic mistake, one that he would live to regret. One that would weaken him when he was in the position to take the kingship. People would hear how he acted, how he destroyed a family because of personal vengeance. And, and they would have difficulty trusting him as a king, as a leader. A leader who acts this way when he gets, or a leader, let's say, a leader when he gets angry and then acts out in vengeance. And then he's okay again. But, you know, when David became king, he needed to gather the allegiance of the entire nation. That was not an easy thing. This would have made it very difficult to do. They would have viewed him as a tyrant and one who takes personal vengeance. And that's for us men, especially for us men, leaders in our home, leaders wherever we are. When we are like that, when we act out in the flesh rather than the spirit, it causes our leadership to weaken. And that's, we've all failed in that. We have. But Abigail saw that. She saw that it was David's duty and honor to fight God's battles. David must not fight except where God sends him to fight. David must only fight God's enemies. He must only fight when God wants him for the fight that God sends him for uh, as an act of judgment. So Abigail not only saved her husband's household, she saved the future king of Israel. She is a heron. And I guess for us husbands, I would like for us to say, now she didn't save Nabal, did she? (laughs) And there was a reason for that. Husbands, listen to your wives. They may very well save your future. They may save your reputation. They may save your life, in fact. So it would be good for us to listen to our wives. Okay, here we have David's response, starting at verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has who sent thee this day to meet me. So who sent, the, who sent her? <laughs> the Lord God of Israel. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which hath kept me this day from coming to shed blood, and from avenging myself with mine own hand. Uh, 
For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hast hasted and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that pisses against the wall. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him, and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice, and have accepted thy person. In this response here, we can clearly see why David was called a man after God's own heart. See, many people do not like to confess when they have done wrong things. But one of David's best qualities was he did not hesitate to confess such matters. When he was guilty, he was guilty of a number of actions, like when he took the census, you know, and and, uh, it, and uh, number of course the thing with Bathsheba. When it was he was confronted with it, he was quick to acknowledge his guilt, his wrongs. Each time he confessed the matter, as soon as he was aware of it. Well, we think of the thing of Bathsheba. I'm not sure that was pretty drug out but there came a time when it hit him and he responded that was why you could call a man after god's own heart it was a little longer there but it was still complete now on this occasion abigail stopped david before he did anything wrong he hadn't done anything wrong yet but what was wrong he had wrong intentions he had a wrong heart And he had intentions. He had wrong plans. And so he confessed that his plans were wrong. See, he was coming to kill every man who worked for Nabal, even many of those men which were innocent. That was wrong. See, many people, maybe they'll confess confess their wrong deeds, but they refuse to change their attitudes. These people are usually caught, and they are sorry that they've been caught. But they're not really sorry for what they've done, and their attitude stays the same. So under pressure, they will confess, but their heart is not in it. That is how Saul behaved. That's exactly how Saul behaved. His heart never joined his confessions. His heart never turned. And I, 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 we can just lift that up before us. We cannot imagine, we, we should not imagine that God will forgive us if that's the kind of heart we have. And we can look at Saul and David and how their paths were so different at the end. The Saul who would not, who would not repent ended up in this suicide, away, far, far away from God. And David followed after God with many mistakes, but he kept after God, and he died, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David acted properly. He changed his attitudes at once. He confessed them as wrong. Verse 36, And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. Now, this was no backyard birthday party. A feast of a king. That is put in there to us to understand that this is a big-time 
party. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smote Nabal, that he died. Now, we don't know exactly what this physical ailment was. Some think maybe it was a stroke or some kind of a heart attack or something like that. It could just have been a miraculous thing that God did. But God took care of David's enemies his way. We do not need to take things in our own hands what God does not call us to take in our own hands. There are things that we let in God's hands. Like, uh, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. There are things we need to let go. God will take care of it. He will. And he did here. But um, David had stepped aside and allowed God to handle the situation his way. Don't respond according to your passions. Rather, always inquire of God and allow him to respond. And reading here, and when Nabal, and when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, and he's like he worshipped, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. Now, you see, you can see David did not excuse Nabal's sin. He recognized he had signed He recognized that this judgment had come. So it's when someone does wrong to us, we do not excuse their sin. It's just that we let it there. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take him, take her to him to wife. And the servants of David were come to Abigail of Carmel, and they spoke unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself to her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hasted, she hasted again, and arose and rode upon an ass, and with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. So that is pretty well the beginning and the end of what we understand as Abigail. So now at the end, I said we will look at a few of these questions. Was it right for her to act behind her husband's back? And was it okay for her to speak publicly about his faults? <laughs> I don't think we'll have an open discussion, but I want to think. She did go behind Nabal's back. She did this major venture, and she specifically and on purpose did not tell him. How does that jive with the order of creation that's so clearly given throughout Scripture and very specifically in the New Testament about submission, about um, leadership, and so on? Headship, order. So, is it ever okay to do something like this? 
In this situation, unless someone acted, there was going to be a slaughter. A slaughter of all the boys, all the men. Nabal had a history. Appeals were not going to work. There was a virtual train wreck coming. Wholesale destruction was on the way to this family. Her husband was going to be dead by morning, and so were all all the men in the house. Now, if she would have gone to Nabal and would have told him what she was going to do, what do you think Nabal would have said, what we know of him? What do you think he'd have said? Yes or no? No way. You're not going to give that man anything. He would have stopped her, and she knew that. No way. The time for appeal was over, and yet slaughter was still coming. Should she just let it come, or should she intervene? Now here I'm going to say, wives, don't go behind your husband's back. Do not subvert your husband's authority and leadership. Because there is power in godly submission. Be certain that you are in your place in attitude and in action. But there are a few exceptions. What may those exceptions be? And we'll look at those few exceptions this morning, and maybe this can be an afternoon discussion. Is your husband is abusing any of your children? And I mean abusing. Should you let anyone know? Or should you do what you want your husband what your husband wants you to do in that situation. When it's wrong morally and it's wrong legally, when there's a violation happening and there's a destruction of a precious soul, you have better go around your husband and save that situation. Is your husband, and these are probably issues we don't face here, but if you do other things morally wrong, Selling drugs or, uh, you know, in some kind of a swindling racket. Something where there's, you know, you can, I don't know where all you can go with this. But there are situations where a husband can be doing things and the wife knows it. I think there's appeals can be made, but if there's no responses, I think you need to go somewhere. If you don't, you become an accessory to the crime. You are now in common language that for now familiar with us, you are aiding and abetting the crime, the wickedness. You know about it. People's lives are being destroyed or are going to be destroyed and you don't do anything about it. What is your husband is in pornography and you know it, but no one else does. That's not illegal unless it's child porn or some other immoral things. Should you tell anyone?
I don't think you go to the law, but I think you should tell someone. I think you need to, after appeals and things are over, you need to go, regardless of what your husband says. You need to, obviously, if he's not a Christian, you're limited in what you can do. But if he's a Christian, professing, and part of a congregation, you need to let someone know, even if he doesn't want to. See, the most loving thing Abigail could do for an entire household in this case was to go behind her husband's back and take proper action. In this case, it didn't save Nabal, but it saved a lot of other people. In this case, she was not working. It saved her household and it saved, and it was her future as well. She was not working against God in this case. She was working for God. Very clearly, very clearly in scripture, God was actually leading her to do this. As we see in the balance of scripture there, what we have read. So what about talking publicly about her husband's faults? What do you think about that question? Well, Abigail did not talk publicly about her husband's fault. She talked specifically to a man that was an answer to the situation. And she did it, but it was not publicly. Just remember that. I don't think a wife should talk publicly to others about her husband's faults. I don't think that's honoring. I don't think that's right. Uh, some weeks ago, Ravi, Ravi Zachariah is a popular evangelical preacher. And I heard a bit, I don't know the whole thing, but I heard a bit of his childhood experience. He would have shared a testimony, apparently. And he had he grew up in a Christian home. His father was, of course, in, they grew up in India. And his father worked in the government, high up in the government, in India government, but they were a Christian family. But his father had some major issues, including anger. One night, he said he remembers his father kicked his mother and all five children out of the house and locked the door in the evening. And they were going to be out for the night. Locked them out. Because in a, in, a, in a fit of rage, anger. And it was a cold night. And they knew it gets close to freezing. It was going to be a cold night. And so I think one of the children, maybe it was Ravi, said, one of my school friends, I know that we can go to their house and they'll take us in for the night. And the mother said, no, if we do that, then it will become publicly known. And it will hurt dad's reputation in the government. And so they went underneath some steps and she covered her, whatever they call that, sorry, sorry, or whatever they call that. She wrapped all her children around and they spent the night there and she would not expose her husband. Now, I don't know if that was right or not. Um, because later on, because that, that caused, I, I, 
I, I think that was right in the sense that she did not publicly humiliate him. I think that was right. But were they a part of a church where he could have been approached and confronted with his sin? I don't know because it confused young, uh, that young boy, Ravi. It confused him because here's Christian and yet they acted this way. And that's extremely confusing to a young person to see those inconsistencies. And at 17, he tried to commit suicide. So there's definitely a, definitely a place where you do protect your husband, but there's definitely a place where you do expose him. Now, I want to talk to us husband. Please, don't put your wife in a position where she needs to make such a decision, such a difficult decision. If she appeals to you, listen to her appeals. We, let's, let, us, let, let us men listen to our wives. Let us take this before God. Let us ask for other people's counsel if we have to. But don't let these unresolved things go on in our marriages. Let's resolve them. Make it easier for our wives and, and maybe even salvage our children in the process. So Abigail became one of David's several wives. Um, just a few, just a footnote here. That's all I have to about those questions. Um, four older children. The four oldest children were Absalom, which was the son. I don't know if I have it here or not, but you have Absalom was the oldest. And then Abigail, the second son, was Kileab, was her son. So he would have been the second oldest. Excuse me. And then we had, no, no, I, I'm wrong here. Abnon was the oldest. Then we had Kileab, which is Abigail's son. And then we had Absalom and Adonijah. That's right. Four oldest son. So Amnon was killed. And so Abigail's son would have been next for the throne, second oldest. But the third oldest and the fourth oldest fought for the throne. Absalom did, and so did Adonijah. But you don't hear anything of Kyliab fighting for the throne. And I don't know. It's just a thought. Perhaps he learned some of those qualities from his mother, Abigail, <laughs> of being in the right place, uh, a, man, a woman of God. Maybe he was taught in a much better way than the rest were. Just a thought. I don't know. So there, there we have a true heron from the pages of Scripture, Abigail, a woman of tact and wisdom. So may God bless you. And uh, you're welcome to give any correction if you see any.